So, back in the early days of our dating relationship in college, um, Tara and I would find ourselves in these long, wonderful conversations talking about the things that people normally talk about when they realize that they're beginning to love one another. You know, family and personal history and uh, priorities, music, movies, books, life. But there was one subject that came into our conversation that was probably less likely for other couples, other younger couples, and yet it regularly found its way into our early conversations, and that subject was baptism. And that might sound incredibly boring to some of you, but there were a couple of things that made that happen in our relationship in the first place. When Tara and I started dating, uh, I had already made the decision that I was heading on to seminary after college. And so my vocational trajectory brought about certain subject matter that maybe other couples would be less likely to experience. The other contributing factor in our baptism conversations is that Tara, who is United Methodist now, was raised in the Baptist tradition. Meaning that um, she was part of a tradition that does not pra practice infant baptism as United Methodism does, but rather practices believer's baptism. The practical implication of that is that uh, Tara at that time, unlike her new boyfriend, had been raised in a tradition in which only those were baptized who could make a public repentance and a public profession of faith in Jesus. To put it into context for you, as somebody who was raised by a United Methodist family, I was baptized at three and a half months old by sprinkling. Tara was baptized in the Baptist tradition as a 13-year-old by full immersion in a baptismal pool. Ask her about it sometime. She'll give you the story. And there we were in college all those years later, sitting in the campus snack bar, eating vanilla ice cream with multicolored sprinkles, talking about the complexities of baptism and talking about how those complexities have been navigated often divisively, right? Often divisively by the various denominations of the Christian church. And as I looked fondly, that, that's a date, by the way. That is a date. And as I look back fondly on those uh, early conversations, I sense that they generated or cultivated within me an expanded sacramental appreciation, if I can put it that way. And that sacramental appreciation continues to fuel my own personal theology of baptism. It really does. I think that in those early conversations, Tara and I were wading into the metaphorical waters of baptism and making some spiritual waves. And we were allowing those spiritual waves and ripples to carry us into the sacred depths of what I believe all baptisms hold in common, irrespective of the denomination in which they are celebrated, irrespective of the methodology by which they are experienced. And that sacred depth that I'm referencing, that sacred depth that I believe all baptisms hold in common, is nothing less, nothing less, than the transformational intimacy of the outpoured love of God flowing into the souls of the ones baptized 
and leaving there a watermark of God's grace that will remind the ones baptized for the rest of their lives of who they are and whose they are and the lengths to which God was willing to go for their salvation. That, in my theology, in my understanding, is baptism. God's watermark of grace upon a human soul and the experience of making a few spiritual waves in the pool of God's outpoured love. That is baptism. To be baptized in Jesus, of course, begins with Jesus and his baptism. And the gospel narratives tell the story and they tell us something very specific. They tell us that John the baptizer knew that there was something wrong with the scenario. Because all the gospels make clear that John the baptizer offered a baptism of what? A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Do you see the complication already in the moment? Jesus, the one without sin, did not need to repent and therefore did not need to be baptized. He didn't belong there. There was something irregular about this moment. John the baptizer knew it. And yet there was Jesus wading into the water of baptism, making some waves for the sake of the world that he came to save. And consider this, on that day, when Jesus, the one who was without sin, walked willingly into that baptismal water, he instantaneously reconceptualized baptism so that it became, in that moment, something different than it had been. In Jesus' experience of the baptismal water, baptism was no longer a repentance, a personal repentance, because Jesus had no need of that. Rather, in his experience of the water, baptism became a revelation, a revelation of God's astonishing initiative on our behalf, a revelation of God's eagerness, not simply God's willingness, but God's eagerness to move toward us and to step into the waterways of creation for the sake of a world that groaned for its redemption. That, by the way, is why some Christian traditions, including United Methodism, and we divide with no one over this in terms of being the church together, but that's why some Christian traditions like United Methodism practice infant baptism because we believe that Jesus, the one without sin, who entered into the water of baptism, made baptism into something different. And if that is at all true, if baptism in Jesus is now not about something that we accomplish, but rather God's initiative of grace in a human life, if that's what baptism is, God's initiative, then why not bring before God in baptism even those infants who are not able to answer for themselves? changes the order of things God's grace does. That things begin with God's grace, the repentance comes later, as it will, it has to. But Jesus' baptism, after this mysterious voice, confirms Jesus' unique relationship with divinity. You will notice that Jesus does not spend time basking in the waters of the River Jordan. He walks immediately out of the river and into the world where he would make even more substantive waves in the ocean of human suffering and fallenness and distortion.
But that is how baptism is. I don't know how you've experienced baptism, and there's a part of me that simply wants to pause and go around the room. How, how did you experience baptism? How did you experience baptism? Were you an infant? Maybe some of you haven't experienced baptism, and please hear that. Our focus on baptism today is not for the purpose of alienating or excluding anyone because we believe that God's love and God's embrace of you does not depend upon baptism. But however you experienced baptism, and I am curious about that, but whenever and however you experience baptism, picture what the work of the Holy Spirit must have been like in that moment. And you know this, that as a celebration and as an event, it only lasts for a couple minutes, only lasts for a few minutes at most. But as the beginning of a life of faith, baptism is far more than a moment. Baptism is a life lived out in a dynamic discipleship that creates all of these good and redemptive waves in a world where the water is far too often stagnant. It's a lived out baptism after all that begins to create these good and redemptive waves of compassion in the stagnant waters of antipathy. It's a lived out baptism that begins to create waves of justice in the stagnant water of inequity. And certainly it is a lived out baptism that begins to create these amazing waves of God's Christ illuminating love in the stagnant waters of what? Hatred, contempt, resentment. See, that is baptism at its deepest. Not an event, not a circumstance, not a celebration, but at its deepest, baptism is a life of vibrant discipleship emerging from the water, creating these redemptive waves that cover the circumstances of this world with God's amazing, beautiful, outpoured grace. Here's what it brings to mind. I once accompanied a group of 51 youth and 18 adults to the island of St. Lucia for a work trip. And after a week of working at different sites and working on different projects, we decided to hold a baptismal reaffirmation service on some beautiful beach that we found on that island. And I took the time to explain to the people that were gathered what we were doing, that this was not a rebaptism, but rather a recommitment to a baptism that already took place. This was the, this was the comparison that I made. I asked how many people present had ever known of parents or grandparents or friends who had reaffirmed their marriage vows or renewed their marriage vows. I said, when people do that, we don't say that they got remarried. We say that they recommitted themselves to a covenant that was already there. So that's what we're doing. We're recommitting ourselves to who we are in Jesus, revealed to us through the water of baptism. And then I walked into the ocean and stood in the water up to my knees and everyone else lined up on the sand and the people who wanted to come forward walked into the ocean. And they stood in front of me and with a little bit of the ocean water, I placed upon their forehead the sign of the cross and I spoke words that were something like these. Remember that you were baptized, not only by water, but by the Holy Spirit of God and remember that that baptism makes a difference. Remember. There was a 17-year-old that was last in line because he wanted to have some extra conversation with me. Just a brilliant kid, such an interesting 
way of expressing himself, and he used these wonderful images and words. And so we had some conversation after everyone else was scattering. And I won't dishonor him and I won't dishonor the conversation by giving you the particulars of it, but for context, I will simply say that he was holding on the beach that day the guilt and shame of many decisions that he had steadily been making that he knew were causing harm to his family, harm to his friends, harm to himself. He was carrying the weight of what he described to me that day as a misshapen life. Yeah, he said, I feel like I'm treading in all the wrong kind of water, and I know I'm going to drown if I keep doing it. So we talked for a while, and at one point during our conversation, he picked up this stone. I don't know why I remember it, but he threw it out into the deep water. And looking back on it, I thought, if I'd been smart enough in the moment, that's, that's the perfect metaphor of what you're talking about. You're looking to create new ripples and new waves in better water, deeper water. I know that's what you want to do. Then he asked if we could pray. Prayer is a tricky thing. Have you noticed that? That sometimes Christians move to prayer so quickly, and I think sometimes it's because they feel awkward in the midst of the conversation. They don't know what to talk about, so let's pray. Let's hide behind the prayer. I understand that. I've probably done that more than once myself. But he asked for prayer, and I don't sense in that moment that either one of us believed that the prayer that we prayed was some sort of magic mantra that made things right. But I think we both believed that the prayer that we prayed that day was the beginning of the reposturing of his life toward better things, toward the things of God. And I have this memory of him walking out of the ocean that day and pausing at some point, turning around as though he had thought of something else that he wanted to say. And over about 15 or 20 feet of water between us, he spoke these words across the water. I'm going to start thinking of my life as an ocean and every day as a new wave. And looking back on it, I think that those simple yet creative words were the essence of a really good baptismal theology. A theology in which baptism is looked upon primarily not as an event, not as a one-time celebration, but as a vibrant life emerging from the water, generating these creative, redemptive, good waves in a world in which the water is far too often stagnant. And so as we gather at the river, as we gather at the water of baptism today, I'll conclude simply by saying this to those of you who um, have been baptized, and I'll come back to it because this is important. It might be that there are some in the room who have not been baptized. Please don't misread what we're doing today with our focus. It's not about trying to determine, well, who's in and who's out based upon a sacrament, because I hope you heard me loudly and clearly when I said that we believe that the love of God initiated by the divine heart does not depend upon baptism, God's embrace of you as a precious child does not depend upon baptism. So it's not about that. But I will conclude by saying to those of you who have experienced baptism, remember that you are baptized. 
Remember to live a life of vibrancy that reflects the baptismal grace. And remember that your life is kind of like an ocean. And that every day is this fresh opportunity to make some new, good, and redemptive waves, all for the sake of Jesus, in whose name we gather at the water, and in whose name I gratefully preach. Amen.